The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity swells, dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you so much. Good morning. It is so good to worship God together today. If we haven't yet met, my name is Josiah Leuenberger and I serve here on staff with the Nashville Institute for Faith and work. I'm so glad you just got to meet my teammate, Lauren Brett. Lauren moved here in mid-August, and she has been such a great addition to our ministry. And if you're not familiar with NIFW, really our aim is to equip people to think theologically about their faith and their work and how they can participate in God's mission in the places where he has positioned us throughout our week. Uh, Again, whether that's in a business setting, whether in an education field, or maybe even in your home, God has given each of us opportunities to serve him in our work. And so we really are excited to help folks all across the city as well as here at Christ Pres. Do that well. I've just been looking forward to sharing God's word with you this morning as we continue in our series of the book of Colossians. So why don't I pray for us as we get into it? Would you join me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in community, to gather in a place where we can look around a room and see others journeying in life and faith and and be encouraged by one another's faith as we turn to you with songs of praise, as we express the honest postures of our heart. And God, as we are in your house today, we recognize that each of us come here from different places. There are things on our minds and and things that could even preoccupy us as we're here in a room where we've dedicated our our time and attention toward you. And we ask this morning, in this moment, would you captivate us by your spirit? Would you speak to us in our hearts and minds that we would encounter your grace through your word in a fresh way? And we ask this together in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanna ask you, are you familiar with the story of the Millennium Tower in San Francisco? Have you heard this story? We have a picture on the screen. The Millennium Tower was built in 2009. And at the time of its construction, this was the tallest building in the city. 58 stories of luxury condos 
with a median sale price of 1.4 million. Notable residents including Joe Montana and Kevin Durant. And this tower received multiple awards at the time of its construction. But beginning in 2016, a number of problems began to be observed with the Millennium Tower. At first, residents heard loud popping and creaking sounds. Kind of unsettling when you're 58 stories up. And then a window on the 36th floor that had been built to withstand hurricane force winds mysteriously developed a significant crack. If you're not familiar with this story, you may be able to guess where this is going. After a battery of tests, it was discovered that a fundamental error had taken place in the construction of the Millennium Tower. The foundation had been laid into deep, dense sand, but not bedrock. And so over the past 13 years, this award-winning building has begun to both sink and tilt. And as you would imagine, a number of legal battles have ensued. Last year, a $100 million system was installed, a sort of sophisticated carjack. And this was designed to set the building back to level over a period of two years. But listen to this, a measurement was taken place this May that showed even since that system was installed, the building has continued to lean three inches to the west, putting the total now at 27 inches. And engineers suspect if that number reaches 40, problems will occur with the towers, elevators, and plumbing. That said, if you are looking for luxury, affordable real estate in San Francisco, Joe Montana has a deal for you. <laughs> and I, sh I share this story because it illustrates a principle that is so timeless and universal that it is laughable that this really happened here in the 21st century. And it's that idea that if the foundation is off, anything built on top of it is destined to fail. Even if you're brand new to church, you may be familiar with Jesus' teaching and Matthew chapter 7 of how this applies to the spiritual life. Jesus spoke, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The wise man builds his house upon the rock. This is one of the first teachings that I have a memory of hearing. I remember a felt board with some, some houses crumbling in Sunday school as a kid. So well-known teaching, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. In the reading we heard just a few moments ago from the Apostle Paul, his letter to the Colossians, he instructs this church with a word of encouragement around this very concept. And it's not because they didn't understand the fundamentals of the faith, but because just like the engineers of the Millennium Tower for followers of Jesus, one of our biggest errors, it's not from a lack of awareness that we make errors in living by faith most often. Typically, it's when we become so familiar with the process of 
following Jesus, it's, it's when we become so familiar with the gospel that we fall asleep on the job and break rule number one. When we get so familiar with the message of God's grace for broken and lost people like you and I who will turn toward Jesus with our spiritual need, sometimes familiarity can lead to forgetfulness. We forget how desperately we need that message. It's the gospel that changes everything for us. And just like we heard in that story a moment ago, at first when this happens, very little may look different on the outside. But eventually we start to hear creaks. Wow, I can't believe those words just came out of my mouth. And then the people who are closest to us, they start to notice cracks. I'm surprised you just reacted like that. That doesn't seem consistent with who I know you want to be. And then eventually, after enough warning indicators pop up, hopefully we'll pause long enough to take an internal assessment. And we often realize we've started to lean. We realize this junk that's coming out of me, those actually weren't mistakes in a moment. It's not because I didn't sleep well last night or didn't get enough to eat at breakfast. Maybe those things are actually a reflection of what's inside of me, what's going on in my heart. And I've begun to drift. And so how do we get back on track in those kind of moments? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I want to assure you, if you are someone who likes to hear from experts when you're learning about a topic, let me assure you, I am very experienced and well-suited to teach on this subject. I have a lot of experience when it comes to losing sight of what's most important and concerning myself with things like image and approval and status. But I also want to share with you the passage we're looking at today. It's been a real help to me. It's been an encouragement to me in seasons of my life where I've needed to lean into God's grace in a way that would change my perspective and, and get down all the way to my heart. And so I'm looking forward to, to digging into this here together this morning. A few words about the context of Paul's writing. In the book of Colossians here, these Christians, they had a number of challenges that are different than the ones that you and I deal with today. But you'll see in a lot of ways, they were right there with us. At the time of Paul's writing, there were some in their church from a Jewish background spreading a message that if you want to follow God rightly, you need to get serious about practicing the traditions of the Jewish faith in addition to following Jesus. So on one side, religious people telling them they needed to meet the traditions of a religious culture in order to do this faith thing right. But then on the other side, these Gentile philosophers in the city were telling these followers of Jesus Christ, you two are myopically focused on your version of the truth. Can't you see there are a lot of perspectives out there? You need to broaden the way that you see the world, the way that you understand your place in it if, if you're going to live in this world well. And so there we have it on the other side, cultural leaders pressuring followers of Jesus Christ to broaden their perspective. Stop being so uptight about the truth if you want to be relevant in the world today. And so as you can see, a lot has changed over the past 2,000 years, but a lot has also stayed the same. In Paul's words we heard just a moment ago, they have a lot to say to you and I to influence our own perspective on how we can live after what is good and true in a world that presents us with plenty of alternative viewpoints to the message of Jesus Christ. 
And so today, as we work through this passage, I, I want us to focus on two simple questions, two very simple questions, but sometimes I've, I've found that the most simple things in our faith are most profound and transformative to me when I actually believe them. Two simple questions. The first is this, what does a life built on the foundation of God's grace in Jesus look like? And so in short, I'll just refer to that as a gospel-centered life. What does a gospel-centered life look like? And then the second question is, how can we make progress in that direction? How can we make progress in living a gospel-centered life? And considering that first question, let's look again at verses six and seven there in Colossians chapter two. If you have your Bible in front of you, hear these words again. Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. Paul uses some great images here to describe what a gospel-centered life looks like. And one of them is agricultural. You heard it a moment ago. It's the root system of a tree there in verse seven, the root system of a plant that's that hidden network beneath the surface of the ground that absorbs nutrients into the plant, allowing it to grow healthy and strong from that nourishment in order to be productive. And so Paul, he implores these followers of Jesus to be rooted in Christ, to gain nourishment and strength for their faith journey and remaining connected to the one who has brought new life to them, the one who's overcome the grave on their behalf, to lean into Jesus Christ for growth and spiritual maturity and service to the world. Be rooted in Christ. And in thinking about what this looks like in our lives for us to find nourishment and strength in Jesus, and thinking about what it looks like for us to be connected into him to grow mature, I wanna share a visual with you that illustrates the kind of mindset a person will embody who is rooted in Christ. So you can put that next graphic on the screen. This is called the cross chart. And this may be familiar to some of you. This comes from a resource called the Gospel-Centered Life, probably my favorite small group curriculum of all time. And, and the publisher of this is called Surge. And let me unpack this for you. This chart is an illustration of how our spiritual life can progress when we root ourselves in Christ and live with a gospel-centered mindset. Let me explain. You can follow along here. The, the point there marked conversion on the left side. Do you see that? This is when a person comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ. When at some point in time, God, as he's directing our story through the work of the spirit, when we come to recognize God's holiness and our own sinfulness, and we look to Jesus as the one who's able to forgive us and to restore us to God through his work on our behalf on the cross. That's the point of conversion. And so you'll see there in the middle between those two expanding axes, that's what the cross represents. Jesus Christ working to bring together our restoration to God as, as a result of our growing awareness of our brokenness and God's work on our behalf in order to restore us to him as, as sinful people. And what we see on this chart is that as time goes on, if the gospel continually and actively shapes our pursuit of faith, we will grow both in awareness of God's holiness and of our own sinfulness as time goes on. 
And so what that means is the longer we follow Jesus and pursue growth in him, we're also experiencing a growing conviction that we don't really deserve God's grace. Isn't that funny? The, the more mature we come as we follow after Christ, the more we dig into his word and spend time around other Christians, the more we realize compared to a perfect and holy God, I am far off the mark. The more we follow after Jesus, the more we realize how messed up we are and how completely we are in need of a savior. And so what this chart really illustrates is, is that as we navigate that tension between understanding our own brokenness and God's holiness, if we will stay focused on Jesus, if we will remain rooted in him as the one who loved us so much as to give his life to bridge that gap, we'll continue to grow a bigger appreciation for the cross a deeper understanding of, of what it means to have God's grace be the determining factor in our relationship with him and, and in our future. I wanna share with you the first time I saw this chart, it was a little bit of a light bulb moment for me because I think there are so many times in my own story where I've treated my relationship with God as, as it's something that's defined by me getting better and, and needing less grace. But what we see on this chart and what we know to be true from God's word and scripture is that really those of us who are most mature know how completely we are in need. We're more and more reliant. We're entirely dependent on God's grace for everything that we do. And so I remember this cross chart. It was so helpful to me to see what it means to have my whole spiritual journey be marked out by God's grace. I'm not only saved through his work on the cross, but really I wanna lean into the gospel for every stage, every season of my life with Christ as I seek to grow in him. That's the cross chart. What a great representation and tool for us to remember what it means to live rooted in Christ. That first image here in the passage. I wanna share with you another that we heard uh, Paul used there in verse six and seven, that is architectural. We've talked about it a little bit already and it is the foundation of the building where Paul implores these Christians to be built up in Christ. Be built up in Christ. In the Greek phrase that is translated to be built up in Christ here, it describes the construction process of a building where layer by layer, the right materials with expert workmanship are pieced together on a sound foundation. Do you remember some of those challenges that I shared with you about the Colossian church that these Christians were facing that we talked about earlier? To think about what, Paul is saying with this perspective to be built up in Christ. I wanna ask you, finish this statement for me. Finish this, go ahead and speak out loud. The best defense is? I was expecting someone to say the name of a college football team. I'm a little disappointed. The best defense is a good offense. You're a smart crew, we knew that already. What Paul is telling this church to be built up in Christ. He's encouraging these believers that one of the best ways to stand firm in the truth in the midst of the challenges they're experiencing is to proactively seek growth in Christ and knowledge of the gospel. One of the best ways to be built up in Christ is to proactively seek growth in knowledge and love of the gospel. And so we use a fancy theological word to describe this process often by which a person is, is built up in Christ. And that's sanctification. It's a Latin word that means to be made holy, to grow in knowledge of God, to experience heart transformation through the spirit as, as we focus ourselves on the gospel. And, 
And sanctification, certainly it's something that should be expressed in love and service. And so maturing in this process, what we see in the passage is that is an indicator that we're rooted in Christ and living healthy in our approach to faith. I wanna share with you this past Monday evening, we had our weekly gathering for this year's class in the Gotham Fellowship. And the Gotham Fellowship is a program from the National Institute for Faith and Work where we help believers all across the city to gain theological understanding around different areas of, of learning that are relevant to us in our service to God in the places that we work. At this point in time, I believe we have uh, somewhere around 50 different churches that are represented over the eight years of the Gotham Fellowship, around 185 individuals who've been through this. It's a really cool program. But this week we were digging into Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, and our discussion led by Dr. Paul Lim, our teacher at Gotham each week. And in the section of the book that we were reading, Bonhoeffer, he talks about how God uses our work to make us more like Christ. God uses work in our sanctification process to make us more like Jesus, whether that's through challenges or through relationships, or maybe even just the simple process of showing up and striving to be faithful with our own creativity and effort. God uses all of that in our own sanctification process. And, and something that Paul talked about, Paul Lim, not the apostle, as we discuss this topic, I think it's really relevant today. Paul shared how in the Protestant reform tradition, it's critically important to us to emphasize that justification, right standing with God, it's founded in Jesus' work alone and, and not in our own efforts. We've gotta be clear on, right, on this, right? This is vitally important to the way that we live out our faith. It's not about us, it's all about Jesus. But something that Paul emphasized in our discussion is that we can also run into problems when we put an exclusive emphasis on justification, getting this aspect of our doctrine right, because in doing so, we can minimize an important call of scripture to pursue our sanctification with a full-hearted effort, to pursue that with an honest intent, to really become more like Jesus, grow in holiness, in his likeness. And in the Reformed Protestant tradition, we've got to recognize the authors of scripture were very comfortable and calling us to pursue sanctification with a full effort. And when we minimize that, we do so to our own detriment. The authors of the New Testament didn't soft sell this at all. And so there's a tension that we need to navigate here. We want to maintain an orientation in our faith on God's grace as the center of all that we do and pursue. But we also need to recognize that it would be a mistake to neglect the pursuit of our growth in Christ with focus and discipline. And I wanna share with you a quote that I found really helpful in considering this dynamic. This is from the author Dallas Willard in his book, The Great Omission. I think he brings a lot of clarity around this tension with these words. He writes, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning and he differentiates. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. Do you see what he's putting a finger on there? What this means as it relates to today's teaching is that our pursuit, our pursuit of growth in Jesus Christ, it does require discipline, but it's the discipline of faith that we have been called to. 
as we pursue growth in Christ. Not a mere discipline of self, but a partnership with God in striving for conformity to Christ in our minds, hearts, and actions. This is active, it's ongoing. And, and what this looks like, as Paul describes it in the passage we heard teaching on last week, is, is where Paul says, I struggle for this, I contend for this with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. It's a partnership, an active partnership between us and the spirit as we strive to become more like Jesus. And this lines up with something I've heard our pastor Scott Saul share on a number of occasions about working out our faith. You know that phrase from the New Testament authors. And sometimes we think of working out our faith as if it's up for grabs and I really need to get serious about this and improve in order to lock it down. I've got to work out my faith. But what Paul's really referring to with this phrase is that we work out our faith like working out a muscle. It's to grow something stronger that we already possess. And so for us, we, we work out our faith in this process of sanctification to root ourselves into the gospel more deeply, that we become even more reliant on God's grace and that his provision on our behalf would become the determining factor in the way that we can grow and in the way that we would serve the world, not that we would be limited by our own humanity. I love it. Let's pivot to the second question here. We've talked a lot about what a gospel-centered life looks like. And so how can we make progress in this pursuit? We find the basis for Paul's answer beginning at the end of verse seven. And so again, Paul writes, as you receive Christ, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. That's one of those little phrases you could just read past, but I think that there's something really profound to be said about living a life of rightly directed gratitude as it relates to our growth in Christ. Giving attention to the truth in God's word about who Jesus is and what he's done is a practice the spirit can use to renew us in our hearts and minds in a really profound way. And in verse eight, Paul tells these Christians, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And so he's cautioning them to avoid being captured by these alternative worldviews. How? How can they avoid that? By being captured instead by the gospel to allow God's grace in Jesus Christ to, to get a hold of our hearts in a way that would give us strength and, and rooting in the midst of the temptations that we would have to, to follow the pressures of this world, to live with other things as, as the focus of our lives, as our hearts, as a false God, to be captured more deeply by the person and work of Jesus is his encouragement here. And we can do that by cultivating a heart of gratitude. In this passage, there's so much laid out for us about how the gospel truly changes everything in our journey. And we can set our hearts and minds on this truth to be built up in Christ. As a, as a way of pursuing our sanctification, listen to this in verses nine and 10, Paul continues to lay out truth after truth that we can be grateful for. He writes, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Think about that. He says the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. The fullness of God. There's, there's nothing in Jesus Christ that is lacking. There's no need for confusion. Jesus doesn't just look like God. He is God himself. He's not just some doppelganger. 
And I know a lot about doppelgangers. Let me tell you, as a bald guy with a beard on a regular basis, people will say to me, hey, you look just like this guy I know. One time I actually walked into a restaurant and the, the manager of this restaurant told me, get out of here. I told you I don't want to buy any. And I said, excuse me. And he said, aren't you the sales guy who was just in here five minutes ago and I told you no? And I said, another bald guy with a beard? And he just nodded his head and laughed. I didn't go back to that restaurant. What we see here is there's no need for confusion around who Jesus Christ is. He's not just an image bearer of God who's different in his character and his nature. He's not some doppelganger, but he is God himself. Straight out of John chapter 1, I love the way that this gospel says the same thing we just heard here. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. This isn't just a mere similarity. The fullness of God's character and authority is within him. And listen, there is good news for you and I in what Paul says here, because he says that the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ and we are in him. There's good news for us in here. That can be a confidence inspiring statement because what this means for us is that through our unity with Jesus, there is nothing that we lack. We can turn towards him in our pursuit of spiritual growth and trust him to enlighten our hearts and minds, to lead us to maturity as we commit ourselves to follow after him. The spirit is our helper, our, our advocate. We can expect that, that he'll back us up, that he'll equip us with what we need beyond what we would ever have in ourselves. In whatever challenges we would face, even in the midst of highs and lows of, of our emotions or our own motivation. Jesus has all that we need and he shares himself freely with us. This is good news that we can be thankful for in any time and season. There's more in this passage, Paul says, we can be thankful for. Listen to this, verse 11. In him also you, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That's a verse to file away, right? If we're talking about things to be thankful for, maybe you find yourself a month down the road, you're going around the Thanksgiving dinner table sharing things that you're thankful for. Maybe you wanna be super spiritual this year and say, I am grateful that I've been circumcised with a circumcision without hands. That'll quiet down the room real quick, right? That's probably a gratitude point best kept to ourselves. What's Paul talking about here? He's emphasizing God's kindness and drawing us to, into his family through the Holy Spirit. How even when we were wrestling with questions of meaning in life or the existence of God, maybe we were even running away from God, totally disinterested or seeking satisfaction in the things of this world and Coming up short, what we can see is that even then God was seeking us out to draw us into his family. I love the, the title of the poem by Francis Thompson, The Hound of Heaven. It's this image of God tracking us down to show us his love, seeking us out, directing our hearts and minds through all that we experience, that we would come to see him and know him. Maybe as you're here this morning, you can sense that God's drawing you in your own heart. If if you want to have a conversation about what it could look like to follow Jesus in your own life, I'd love to have a conversation with you after the service myself. What a beautiful truth that is, that gently, kindly, 
And patiently, Jesus wants to show us the depth of his love. And that's something that any one of us can receive when we would simply confess our need for a savior and look to him and believe. Last, we see here in this passage, this this truth that as we pursue growth in Christ, we can do so with real security. We can do so with the security of knowing that what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf is final and it's unchangeable. Verses 13 and 14, you are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. One last great image right there. It's that we owed God a debt for sin, a penalty to be paid for our failure to obey the requirements of his perfect law. We owed God that debt. And what happened to it? Jesus held it in his hand as it was nailed to the cross on our behalf. Jesus paid it so you and I don't have to. As that nail was driven through him into the cross, Jesus paid our debt with the cost of his own blood. This is what we'll celebrate around the table together in just a moment, that our debt has been erased. Praise God. We don't need to live in fear over judgment for sin because Jesus' work is finished. It is final. Whoever is in him is a new creation. And my friends, we will all have moments where we struggle. We'll have moments where we screw up, where the cracks and the creaks are evident, where people will start to see our lean. We'll have those moments. We'll lose sight of our story. But even in the midst of those times and seasons, we have a sure hope that whatever we face in life or death, the gospel is enough for us because Jesus has shown us his supremacy over the powers, the authorities of this world. His victory over sin and death is final and he will complete the work of restoration he has begun. That is the sure hope that we see in today's passage. You know, one of the greatest benefits that we have to be thankful for through Christ is that in pursuing growth in him and being rooted and built up in him, one of the greatest benefits that we have is the gift of being able to do life together to help one another along in that journey. Not one of us can encourage ourselves. Not one of us can support ourselves. We, we need one another as we pursue this together. And there's so much we could talk about as it relates to pursuing growth in Christ. But as I think about the things that God has used in the most profound way in my own life, it's, it's time in scripture, it's time in prayer, and it's, it's time with people living life together in community. And I think that community is actually an accelerant for our spiritual growth when we, when we do scripture reading and prayer together with one another, because God will teach us things as his spirit works through us in, in a room where we're together in a way that goes above and beyond what any one of us could ever experience on our own. We're not meant to do this journey alone. If you want to find a way to connect with others, to be able to build relationships, that's behind all the things that we do here at Christ Pres. There are folks at a table out there in the lobby who'd love to chat with you about ways that you can get to know other people here at Christ Pres. We have a variety of groups where you can get a start. And let me set an accurate expectation for you. If you want to get involved, this will be a challenge. Uh, doing life with people who are different from you will take you out of your comfort zone and it will take time to build those relationships. 
but it'll absolutely be worth it. God will use it in your life in a transformative way. Have some cool ways you can get involved here at the church, have some events going on with National Institute for Faith and Work I'm really excited about where we can join together in community for learning and be equipped to serve on mission in our work. Have a really fun event I'm looking forward to at Lipscomb University in November on cultivating community and meaning through business in light of the gospel, where those of us who are seeking to live out uh, a witness of faith in the places that God has positioned us in the community to serve in, in that kind of setting where we can swap ideas and hear from perspective uh, from members of our community who are doing this in a cool way. Uh, we also have a Friday morning study coming up in the new year on pursuing mercy and justice at work. So there are a lot of ways you can get involved in community and build relationships here at Christ Pres, and we'd love to help you out with that. Let's pray together. God, you tell us in your word, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Whoever believes need never be shaken. God, may that be true of us as we root ourselves in your grace and seek to be built up in you through the power of your spirit as we do life together. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.